forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, every person should be, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would change us this morning by a work of your spirit and make us more like your son, Jesus. And we pray this for your glory and in his name. Amen. So when I was in high school, I had this friend, Dan Jacobs, and we, me and my friends always hung out at his house. It was the place to be. His parents were really great to us, too, the Jacobs. They would always have uh, food and drinks, Dr. Pepper, bagel bites, uh, pizza rolls, all those things that burn the roof of your mouth off were there, and it was great. And they were actually, the Jacobs, the parents were actually here a couple weeks ago for my ordination service. Um, and what was interesting was you didn't have to, at least I didn't, knock on their door. You just kind of walked right in, made yourself at home. Um, it was kind of like a second, second home for me and a lot of Dan's friends, my friend. So after my first semester of college, and Dan was my roommate in college that first year, I'm back home, my hometown in Chattanooga. I decide to go up to Dan's house because I heard that some of my friends were hanging out up there that night. So I decided to drive up to his house, and this is where things get interesting. Uh, this all happens in like 15 to 20 seconds of time. Okay, so I, I get out of my car, and I look in their driveway, and there's a new car there. And I think, wow, interesting, the Jacobs got a new car. And then as I'm walking toward the door, this dog comes out of the garage, and it's a, I've never seen this dog before. So I pet the dog on the head, nice dog, and I think, the Jacobs, interesting, the Jacobs got a new dog. And then I open the door, as I always do, and I hear this security beep go off, and I think, interesting, the Jacobs got a new security alarm? <laughs> and then I, I look on the wall in front of you, in front of, right when you walk in, there's a wall, and there's all these family pictures that the Jacobs had, and it all looks like rearranged or something, I don't know. I look closer, and I realize that I don't recognize any of the people in any of these pictures. <laughs> and you might have started to put things together. I started to put things together at that moment. It's kind of like the usual suspects that you've seen the last scene in there, everything kind of falls into place and I realized this and I start to remember these background conversations that I kind of vaguely remember with Dan and my friends and this distant conversation about going to the new house. Um, the new car, the new dog, the new security system, the new photos, it all comes together. The Jacobs have moved. <laughs> and I don't know, somehow I didn't get that, I didn't feel like I heard that message. And on top of that, I start to hear, that, as I'm coming to this realization, someone starts kind of coming around the corner and so I kind of freak out because I realize not only the Jacobs move, I'm an intruder in somebody's house. I don't know what's going to happen next. So I kind of fast walk it out of there, start fast walking to my car, getting in my car as this guy comes out and he's like, what are you doing in my house? What are you? And I'm trying to explain, like, I'm sure this happens all the time. Um, sure, all my, I just imagine all my friends coming up and coming into their house and He's like, no, but by this time I'm in my car backing out of the driveway just saying sorry, and I feel really, still feel kind of bad for this guy, but at the same time, I'm not sticking around to figure out what's gonna happen. So that's something that happened to me. <laughs> so I got myself into this situation, and so all my friends for a long time, I, I was now the, the absent-minded, ditzy one that doesn't listen. I was kind of the fool in my group for a long time, and I had to, to hear and tell this story hundreds of times, not hundreds of times, but lots. The Jacobs, when they were here two weeks ago, guess what they had me tell? They had me tell this story again, literally. <laughs> so I wasn't listening 
to what my roommates and my friends were saying, and the price that I paid was that I was labeled a fool. This is a similar situation to what's happening for James's audience. James is, concern, is concerned that his readers are not listening, they're not hearing, they're not paying attention. And their challenge was not being an absent-minded ditz. Their challenge was their desire and their need that they felt they had to speak. Their, their challenge was their anger. James here drops us into the experience of the trial of hearing and listening. It's kind of interesting. You wouldn't think that this is such a big command in the Bible, but it is. We'll see today. James wants his audience and he wants us to be people that hear, people that listen, and people that seek to understand. The pe all the people in the places and situations, the, the people that he's put up into our lives. The big idea for our sermon today is this. God is gracious and merciful to us. And if God is gracious and merciful to us, we ought to be gracious and merciful to others in the way that we listen to them. And that's just like, this looks like this. We should be people, these are my three points, and I stole it from James. We should be people that are quick to hear, point one. We should be people that are slow to speak, that's point two. And point three, we should be people that are slow to anger. So our first point, we should be people that are quick to hear. In verse 18 and 19, James reminds us that he is talking to beloved brothers and sisters. That's what the Greek word there, adolfoi, means, brothers and sisters. People who have been brought forth, people who have been born again. At one time they were dead, but God made them alive to trust him and to grow in faith and hope and love. The images that he uses in the first, in this, uh, first verses is of first fruits. And the idea here is that at one time you were this moldy, smashed, dried out seed that was dead. You weren't producing anything. But supernaturally, God came and made you alive to grow up and to bear fruit. And this fruit looks like being like Jesus. It looks like being more and more like God himself. That's what God has done. That is what God is doing. That's what's true. And the rest of our text, James is going to show us what we should do. What does it look like for born-again people, one way that we're talking about today, to grow up and be like their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's maybe not what we expect. We expect, you know, big things like, you know, don't commit sexual immorality, don't murder people, don't uh, slander even. But this is one command from God to be quick to listen, quick to hear. Look at verse 19. He says, let every person be quick to hear. And this is even like in chapter 1. So this is one of the most important things James wants us to pick up. We, should be, we Christians are to be people that hear, people that listen. We talk about, we've probably heard the phrase, hair trigger temper, right? We talk about people that at just the slightest touch of their trigger sends them off, shoots like a gun. James calls us here to be hair trigger listeners. We are people that when any kind of anxiety starts to happen, whenever somebody looks, something's off with that person. Um, this person's talking to me and speaking to me in a way that's kind of strange. It's not normal. We are hair trigger listeners to understand what is going on in other people's hearts, other people's lives. And this hearing and this listening ought to be such that you and me, you and I, should be thought of by others as hair trigger listeners, as people that are quick to hear. So when people think of you, they think your name here, wow, he is a good listener. She really hears me. He really tries to get me. 
wow, she's really interested in me and what's going on with me. She wanted to hear me and really wanted to listen to what I had to say. Do you think this is something that, that you, uh, is, do you think this is something that people might think about you? That you are one who is known to listen and hear well? Remember, this, so this is not good advice. This isn't like win friends and influence people's stuff, although that might happen. But this is a command from God to be a good listener because it's a reflection, it's a, even a reflection of God's character that he is a listener. He is, listens to you. He listens to us. Um, we're acting like God when we do this. For example, in Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms for a variety of reasons. But let's hear from someone who has experienced this himself, David. He wrote Psalm 139, and he writes in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. It's remarkable that even though, you know, God is omniscient. He knows everything. But David still says, you have searched me and you've, you discern my thoughts. It's like the way that David experiences God knowing him is like God is processing David. God is processing him. It's not like this immediate download of information for God. It's not this impersonal download of information. But David experiences him as pursuing him, as searching him out, as being curious, digesting David's thoughts, digesting David's inner world, getting acquainted with David's inner world. How does it feel to think about God searching you out? How does it feel putting your name here in Psalm 139? He knows, he knows everywhere you go. He knows everything you do. He peers inside your soul. He knows all your thoughts. How does that make you feel? David is delighted by it. The God of David, that David is delighted by this God. He, he wrote a whole psalm about this. Why do you think God asks us to pray? He asks us to pray to him. He instructs us how to pray to him. He even commands us to pray to him and pour our, pour our hearts out to him. Why? Because he loves to hear you. He can't get enough of you. He is curious about you, and he comes to you to know you. I love this, these images from one, Psalm 139, other places. It's very personal. It's intimate. David feels felt by God. And in an indirect way, that becomes direct here in James chapter 1, in other places, we are called to be like God in listening and hearing, seeking to know, and just listening to other people. This is the shalom. Have you ever heard that term bandied about? Shalom. This is what shalom looks like. It's the world. It's a little piece of the world as it is meant to be. People pursuing and understanding and seeking to know one another. People feeling felt by others is a little piece of shalom, of peace, of the way it's supposed to be. And I wonder what might be some challenges for you in being quick to hear, in being a hair-trigger listener. What is God calling you to work on, maybe even in the car ride home today? Maybe it just means, and this is maybe our, one of our applications for today, maybe it means with someone who you're close to, that um, asking them, am I a good listener? Maybe we're not as good as listeners as we, as we think we are. Asking someone and getting some feedback, how can I be a better listener? When you feel unheard, and when do you feel unheard and missed by me? And just doing application here, listening to what they say. 
This is our application for our first point. Do this on the car ride home, and I, and, um, I curse your car ride home if you don't do this. <laughs> May be filled with awkwardness because Will said to do this and you're not doing it, and everybody knows it. Um, I think it would be life-changing for many of us here and the people around us as we follow this and command and just move toward being a better listener after God's own heart. That's our first point, be quick to hear. Second point is that we should be people that are slow to speak. This goes hand in hand with being quick to hear. Not only are we supposed to be hair trigger listeners, hair trigger hearers, but combined with this, we are also to be people that literally just stop talking. Just shut our yappers, <laughs> just talk too much. God is telling us here to stop talking so much. This next point that James makes is for those situations, and I think what's happening here is James is getting to more and more tense situations, the first and the three points. First one, be quick, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, things are getting tense. Slow to anger, this is when things are really tense. This is like the medium <laughs> in the middle. Um, God is telling us when uh, those daily places where we feel the need to speak, to not be so quick to speak. Let's give an example, and we're going to go right to the hard one. Children. Let's talk about children for a second. Your children, it could be your children, it could be nephews, nieces, um, any children God's put into your life. This is a good ex test case for all of our places. Um, this is when it's hard not to speak. So when, when children, for example, express negative emotions, when they express their anger, when they express their distress, their sadness, their fear, um, our natural response is to push it away. Push that back. I can't handle that, is basically what's happening. When we say things like, why are you so angry? What we're really saying is, stop being angry. When we say, like, um, you know, stop feeling sad. You have no reason to feel sad. Instead of hearing them, we're speaking to them. Or, I hope nobody's ever heard this before. This is really sad, but some people say, I've heard this before. Stop crying, or I'll really give you something to cry about. Ugh. Can the, this is terrible, terrible. Can the children in your life, or whoever is coming into your mind, you think about somebody else if you want. Um, can they cry? Can they be really sad? Can they just be silent? Or can they actually fear, feel fierce anger, even toward you, without, with you being able to just be curious and listen, without you stamping it out with your words? Because what's really almost always happening is not really, it's not really an issue with the child or whoever you have in mind. The issue is with me, that their distress is welling up distress in me that has nothing to do with them. It has to do with my story. It has to do with my issues. It has to do with me. And it's welling up this anxiety in me where I feel the need to stomp it out, push it away, because I can't take it. And I use the power of my words as an adult to do everything I can to shut it down before I get overwhelmed. Instead of just recognizing my own discomfort and recognizing it has nothing to do with them, and then moving, being able to move toward them and listen to what's going on with them. We don't only do this with children, we do this with lots of people. <laughs> um, translate this to the peers in your life. Translate it to the spouse in your life. Translate it to the family member in your life that maybe is coming to, to your mind. You, those, there's times that you, we feel like we have to speak. We have to defend ourselves. We have to throw advice in people's faces. And, and by the way, nobody wants to hear your advice. Nobody wants to hear our advice. People want you to listen to them and be with them in their sadness, in their pain, in their anxiety. Nobody wants your advice. If they, ask, if they want your advice, they'll ask for it two or three times, <laughs> from my experience. You ha um, what if you just made the turn, 
Close your mouth, as God says here to do, and just listen to people. Be with them. For example, here's, let's take it a little farther out. What about all these really intense political debates that we're having these days? All these very intense political debates. Can we obey this command and stop talking and just listen to those that we disagree with? Where are they coming from? I wonder why that's so, this is so important to them. I wonder what, what, what's going on with this person. Why, why is this such a big deal to them? Doing that before we speak. Doing that before we post the spicy meme on Facebook, just trouncing them in front of everybody. Now, James is, is here. He's not just making this up. He's actually totally plagiarizing from the book of Proverbs. Um, here are a couple that James is plagiarizing. See if this might apply to your life in some way. So Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hear, hears, it is folly and shame. You've got to hear first before speaking. Or Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. It's a shame and a folly to be full of words, advice, and answers before you've really done the hard work of listening. You look like a fool. We look like fools when we do this. Now, what does wisdom look like here? What, is it, what, is it, what does the turn to wisdom look like here? And I, I know there might be an exception to this, but generally, you know, with our kids, with our um, spouses, with political opponents, with people that really annoy us, before you argue against someone else, in real life or online, before you critique and challenge them, um, before you tell them what they should be doing instead. Instead, we need to do the hard work of listening and being curious. And then, when you get to the point where you can understand what they're saying and even articulate it back to them in a way that they say, oh yeah, you get me. If you can't do that, don't talk. If you can't do that, just be quiet. Just be quiet and listen. This is what James is talking about. This is our command. Uh, this goes for children, this goes for your spouse, this goes for people that won't wear a mask, this goes for people that refuse to take them off. <laughs> Whoever God has put into your life, get to understand them. Use your ears. Let me give a really practical example where we, going out even further, where we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Um, there are people in this country who have been brought here, they were brought here as slaves. They endured chattel slavery, torture, rape, being ripped from their families nonstop for hundreds of years. And when they were finally freed, they were given no resources. They were just put out. Just go take care of yourself somehow with no resources at all. And over the next hundred years, they lived under Jim Crow and other formal and informal laws that were meant to strip them of their, of their power, of their dignity, of the, any sense of justice. And ever since then, African Americans en masse have been telling America that they still experience racism in all manners of ways here, from personal racism to systemic racism. How do we, stop there for a second, how do we respond to people that say that they have been denied justice, been stripped of power, dignity, and worth by the majority population? Now listen, stop for a second. Each of us has experienced this to some degree. We've all experienced this to some degree. You've been denied justice somehow. You, someone has abused you. Someone has used, taken the power that they had and they've abused you, taken away your worth and your dignity in ways that is just horrendous. Everyone's experienced this to some degree here. And the worst thing about this, the worst thing that can happen to someone who this happens to, the worst thing that can happen is 
even more than the initial abuse, is to be dismissed. It's to be denied. It's to be shooed away or argued against. And if you've experienced this, oh, it's the worst. It is the worst. Overwhelmingly, our black brothers and sisters have, experienced, have been saying that they've experienced this for decades, well, from the beginning of America, before that. But in the, in the last decades, especially, we've heard this, and there's been such pushback. And our natural response is to be quick to speak. We don't listen. We don't want to see. We argue and we dismiss and we say, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about black on black crime? What about, was he on drugs at the time? Uh, was her ex-boyfriend a criminal? We just push back and push back and dismiss and push back. And what if, but if there really is injustice happening, how would you know it? If you're white and you're not from a black community, you wouldn't know it. The only way you would know about it is if you listened, is if we listened. This is how, this is the destructive nature of injustice. And black communities have been repeatedly proclaiming that racism is alive and well, even among Christians, even among the church at large, and that we won't listen. And they're telling us, look, look how plain it is in these videos that are coming out. This is what we live with. You guys are finally getting to see a little piece of it. You don't know about this because you're not us. But we're telling you, this is what we fear when we go jogging. This is what we fear when we have a taillight out. This is what we fear when I have a concealed carry permit and a gun in my car and I get shot. This is what we fear when we're in our apartments with our doors locked. This is what they're saying. Why is it so hard for us to simply listen? Why is it so hard to be slow to speak? It's hard. I admit it is hard. It's hard. What is it? Or is it because, I'm just being curious, is it because we are worried about the reputation of America? We're worried it's going to be sullied? The, I love America. We, there's some things that are not great about America. I love America. Would it mean that we ourselves have to repent and change if we listened? Or are we scared, are, are we scared of losing power? Is that something that we're scared about? Or are we scared that we might actually listen too much somehow? And then we get flipped over to the other side and get brainwashed? What are we scared of in simply listening? If you're interested, I have books, I have podcasts, I don't know, I got great stuff that's been helpful to me as I've been processing all this and trying to, to listen and not speak. And if there's anyone that maybe it's out there that's getting angry, I would love to hear you and listen to you. <laughs> and this is, our seg- this is a good segue, actually, to our next point. <laughs> we should be slow to anger. James has two more verses that he tacks on to the end of this last command. He writes, verse 20, My beloved brothers, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So let's say you're in an argument, or worse, um, with whoever you've been thinking about today as we've been going through this, and you're past the point of being able to be quick to hear. You're past the point of being able to be slow to speak, and now you're in anger territory. James has a word for us while we're in this, or afterwards when we're thinking about it and trying to figure out what went wrong. He says, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does this mean? First of all, when he speaks of anger here, he's talking about right, he's not talking about righteous anger over injustice. That's another sermon series or another sermon. He's talking about the run-of-the-mill anger, run-of-the-mill anger that we feel that rises up in us every day. Maybe this morning before you came to church, you felt it. And when James uses that, that's what he means by anger. When he talks about the righteousness of God, we have to remember, this is a little in the weeds for some people, but he's not, he's not talking about this as Paul talks about it. When Paul talks about the righteousness of God, he means it in the sense of like, um, God, we're filthy and dirty and, and we're guilty. 
and God gives us his righteousness in Jesus Christ, and he takes our guilt on the cross, and Jesus dies for our guilt. That's one way, that's one way that righteousness is used. But James is using kind of the other shade of, of righteousness. He means justice. He means peace. He means rightness. So James is saying in this verse, he's saying, your anger is not going to make things right. Your anger is not going to bring peace. Your anger is not going to bring justice. Your anger is not going to produce, it's not going to accomplish God, what God desires in this trial, even what you desire in this trial. No matter what it feels like in the moment, anger, your anger is not going to produce peace, justice, and rightness. Now, I think anger kind of gets a bad rap because at, anger at the bottom of it, you are trying to protect, you're, you're scared or you're hurt, and that's when the anger comes out. Um, that's where anger comes from, things like that. It's a kind of a good motivation, but the things that anger does always messes things up, always messes things up. It doesn't matter how good the motives actually are. More often than not, when you follow it down, even though there might be a good motives, like peace, justice, alleviation of your own fear and hurt, um, it always messes things up. My wife and I, we received marriage counseling when I was a few years ago when we were in seminary, and it was really helpful if you're married, get counseling. And the biggest takeaway that I had was that I realized that at the bottom of our conflicts, we didn't hate each other. It felt like it in the moment. It felt like, oh, you hate my guts. Oh. If that's what it felt like. But virtually, and I maybe all, but virtually, maybe all, all of our conflicts were because I or she was hurt and scared. Every single one. I or she, one of us, or both, that was the worst, were both hurt and scared, and we're lashing out or we're pulling away in order to make the other person change so that I can feel safe and I can feel my hurt is alleviated. That's what's at the bottom of all our fights. And it never worked. When I've lashed out in anger, pulled away, whatever, never worked. Zero percent. I had a zero percent batting average on this. Zero percent. Anytime, any of my strategies in my anger, they never worked to fix my hurt and my fear. It only made things worse. Always. This is how anger works. Now zoom out to all the times that we are angry. Your anger may have good intentions for you, but James wants us to look at it and see the effects of it for what's going on here. It's filthiness and it's wickedness, he called it. It's pretty extreme, but that's what James says. Because in our anger to protect ourselves, and this is why it is extreme, we hurt others. In our anger to defend ourselves, we hurt our own reputations. God doesn't want your reputation sullied. He hurt, you, hurt your, you look like a fool when you're angry. We hurt the reputation of Jesus and his church. And we move against this new nature that God has given us. And James wants us to see all these destructive results. He wants us to look at them. Look at what, look at what anger has caused to drive us to God for help. In verse 21, he tells us, Therefore, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The opposite of pushing your words out into the other people. Stop doing that. Stop making me feel bad. The opposite of that is to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Your anger is not going to save you. It never works. But in the moment, or as soon as you can afterwards, because sometimes anger comes on us like crazy. We don't even know what's going on. Or as soon as, as soon as afterwards, this message that you needed and that you still need, rescue from yourself. That message is what helps us in the trial of anger. What I love here is that James is assuming that whoever has, he's been talking to, his original audience, you, me, 
every Christian ever, has failed. Even after being born again, we've failed again and again. And James assumes that, and this is why he's writing a letter to us, and he says, go back to the beginning. That word, that good news of Jesus that was implanted into your soul. Do you remember when you first became a Christian, when you first believed? When, this is when you realized, wow, I'm a complete mess. There's nothing good in me, and my sins have overcome me, and there is nothing I can do about it. I'm completely helpless. But, but God came and saved you anyway, saved you for himself. Coming back to this again and again is the basis for all spiritual growth, for humility, for love. And in this particular trial, how can I be, for example, how can I be angry and assert my rights and defend myself when before the judge of all judges and the judge of all kings, I have been found absolutely empty and wanting, yet absolutely wanted by him to the point that he would send his son to die for me in my sins. And you know what happens when you believe this? When you take this in the moment, you take this truth and hold on to it in the moment, you become more and more a person who anger does not rule them. The phrase, the phrase you might have a point, pops up in your head a lot more often. You can let people talk about their strange political beliefs, their scary political beliefs, you can let them talk about it and just listen and try to get to know them as a person. You can let, um, you can let your guard down with your spouse. Forget about how big, your big, important self for a moment and wonder, what has made my wife so hostile to me? I'm curious what is going on inside of her. Maybe she's just hurt and scared too. This week, who has God put into your life to apply this message with. Um, who is God want you to be slow to, speak, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger? And don't forget about the conversation in the car or when you get home. Uh, who is God calling you to apply this in your life, or apply the gospel in your life so you can love this other person who God wants you to love? He doesn't like when we're angry and hurting people and hurting ourselves. I'll finish with this last proverb. We already read it a second ago, but reflect on this. this is, I love this. I love this text. It's like, listen, this is Proverbs 16:32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us to follow your command here today. Help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger in our families, in our places of work. Um, here at CPC, we ask that you do whatever it takes to make us people like this, people like your son, Jesus. And we ask this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.